but sometimes we could get through and talk to each other. <laughs> Honestly? Yeah. It was, you know, a real, in the evening, we could, she could, it would ring, and uh, she, it would ring, and then I would talk to her. And she was how many miles away? About, about three miles, straight west of me. It was just funny, one time she, she called me late in the evening. And she told me to get up and to get up and look at the ring around the moon. Mm -hmm. It was a real cold winter night. What do we call those dogs? Yeah. Uh, moon dogs. Moon dogs. Yeah, that's what it was. These rings of ring around the moon. And uh, oh, I have to tell you about our hot lunch system. We had a, a big heating stove in one corner, and it had a jacket around it, a, a heavy jacket, so that the heat would go up and then you know warm the. Uh, the jacket is made of metal? It was metal, yeah, and it was a little bit fancy even, kind of a, like a design embossed, you know, it, it wasn't really embossed, but it had a design on it. And so I had a big dishpan there, and in the, uh, in the morning I'd go out and fill this dishpan with snow and put it on top of the heating stove, and that snow would melt, the children would bring their casserole or all the potatoes or um, baked beans or whatever, and uh, when the snow was melted and the water was heating, we put their jars of food in the hot water, and then they had a hot lunch. <laughs> That's a lovely story. I don't remember reading that one. And sometimes they brought potatoes, and we'd put them in the ash in the ash pan, and they'd have a baked potato. So maybe should we stop here since I know your coffee's done and we need to take a break okay. so I don't wear you out? Okay. You know. Now this is your first fermo back from first New first. Guinea. You were pregnant and you had Mark and Fred as little boys. And Mary and Tom. And Tom mm -hmm. was older and Mary was older too, older than Tom. And uh, we, we, when we, this, this is kind of interesting. When we were in Fiji, how, uh, we had a meal. We were... We were served a meal, and we, the Fijians were the waiters, and, you know, our children were used to the New Guinea people, the brown people, and they were so at home when we went to Fiji, they just thought it was great. They had these, these people around that they knew, and they didn't know them, but they thought they... They were familiar. They were familiar. They thought they must have the names of Kivariung or... Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Amasu, but they, they, they didn't, of course, know them. But it was so hot, and the plane was delayed the engine, engine trouble, and so you had to stay in Fiji overnight. And you chose, instead of staying on the plane, instead of going to the hotel in town, you chose to stay on the plane. And you put a couple of the kids in the berths. We had two berths. Maybe we had three berths. Because I had the two youngest with me in one berth, and you very likely had Tom with you, and Mary might have had a berth by herself. She was almost eight years old. I just don't remember that, and I don't think, I'm sure she doesn't remember. But, uh, but it was so hot. It was so hot. No, uh, no air conditioning. No air conditioning. It wasn't very high. I can't remember how high. You can just sort of imagine how high the birth would be. 
and the, the boys kept just, they were tossing around, so I just took them out of the berth and put them in the seats in the plane, and they slept real well then. It was a little cooler there. So then you took off the next day in this, in the morning, in this plane that had a couple levels in it. It was a Boeing. There was about 30 passengers. I don't think it could have been much more than that because there, we had such good, the seats were so big and I don't know how those berths folded up or anything. But and the reason you were able to fly was because you were pregnant and so they wouldn't let you go aboard ship. Yes, they did. Otherwise, we would have for sure traveled by ship because this was not the usual way. But they, the, uh, was... the mission had decided we should we should go on furlough. It wasn't our choice. We would have stayed another year until this baby was born, you know. <laughs> but uh, they wanted us to go and have our furlough. It was kind of important to stagger the furloughs because so many staff came at one time, and so many were due for furlough at one I time. I see. So that was so they insisted on you taking them at sporadic times. Yeah. That's right. And, and not just saving it all up. That's right. And so then it was our they they decided we should go on furlough, and, and uh, they sent us by plane. And yeah. furlough lasts how long? Is it a year? It was one year. And uh, and so then you got to Hawaii, you flew by this big, you called it the civilian version of the... Super, uh, the, <laughs> the flying fortress. The flying fortress, okay. And then you landed in Hawaii, and... You said you were served very nice meals on the plane? Yeah. Oh, I never will forget the meals because the, ch the children got the same meals as the, as the adults. And they I just remember this huge slice of ham served to our little 15-month-old child. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know how that, you just register on that. But uh, it, was, it was very nice flying and, and our, our kids, I think they were kind of looking forward to now They hadn't met Grandma and Grandpa yet, right? No, no. And this is what Tom asked me one time. He said, we were preparing to go on for and he said, Mom, he said, are the, are the natives in America brown or are they white? Isn't that cute? You know, I think that would be That's a beautiful statement of what your kids experience. What do you think? Well, it could Let's be. Just go ahead. It was very, very sincere and innocent. We we did have one, we didn't have access to very many books, you know. I mean, we could order some from the Oxford Publishing House. But we had this one book about America that I read to the, the children a lot about how people live in America and how the children go to school and buses they haul milk in trucks. And I tried to to keep them informed a little on how it would Remember be. Remember the name of that book? No. But I, it was a children's book. It was a children's book. It was something of like, you know, uh, We Love America. Or it, I don't think that was, was the name, but it was, a, it, it was a real, real good book to have along because I, I, 
know how life in America would be. And there were so many things that they just never rode in a car or never had never had apples. We mean never had apples or peaches or pears or uh, or some other things. Ice didn't, cream. Didn't ice cream? Yes. We didn't have a refrigerator, so we couldn't make anything that was frozen. And, uh, uh, but this this trip was was they were very good and and really interested. Uh, the the rest of it is rather interesting. We landed in San Francisco, and of course we didn't have the right clothes. So the lady a lady at the from the Lutheran Church took me to Macy's. And uh, I bought a coat and a dress for Mary, a nice um, blue and white dotted Swiss dress with a wide organdy collar. And uh, she got a nice summer coat, and I got a summer coat too because I didn't have a coat. The coat I had worn to New Guinea was quite good, but when I went to New Guinea, dresses and coats were short. And when we went on our first furlough seven years later, everything was long. And I couldn't <coughs> possibly wear that short coat. I just, and besides, I had gotten fever too. You know, I really this is about five kids later. Didn't even fit into it anymore. <laughs> so <coughs> then, then we we went by train from San Francisco to to Cedar Rapids, and we had a a roomette. I think it was called. We had two beds that folded out, like two hide-a-beds, and, uh, and we were private in there. And the, the children had a chance to sit and look out the window and see snow they saw, and they saw all these animals and in the And what house. did they say? Oh, they were excited. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah. You Middle of May, and there was still snow on the mountains in California. How did that feel for you to be back <laughs> in the United States? Yeah. Oh, we just took it in stride. We were sort of numb, I think. <laughs> yeah, I bet. But then we got to Cedar Rapids, and there we saw the men were in shirt sleeves. Always, and must be warm here now. So. We got off the train in Cedar Rapids, and we got our suitcases, and we got onto this little. We thought we were going to. We thought we were going to get on a, what was the thing, what train from San Francisco, uh, Union Pacific. Uh, oh, I don't know. But a, a real uh, streamlined train, and then there's, there was another one from the Rock Island line went uh, north. Those railroad lines. Right, yeah, I remember the names of some of them. Yeah. But uh, most of them, or many of them, were east west, like the uh, uh, Union Pacific, the Northern Pacific. But there were a couple lines that went north south, like uh, Rock Island. Their streamlined plane was a rock. The train was the rocket. We thought we were going to get the rocket in Cedar Rapids, but instead we got this little electric interurban train that I knew from my 
child. Ah, <laughs> yes, and you wrote on that? Yeah. Oh, that was the only passenger. <laughs> <laughs> we literally boned so long like this. It was so funny. And in the, the train, I said to I said to Roland, now, wouldn't it be, uh, it'd be funny if there was no one there to meet us? And? And there wasn't. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> They didn't expect you that early, or they what? They thought we were flying in. So Grandpa See, we, was, yeah, they, they were really getting air-minded. We, well, we flew to San Francisco, so I guess they just assumed we'd fly all the way. I mean. Well, we're now, you know, we would have called them. Sure. But people but, didn't make long-distance telephone no, calls. No, so I, I don't yeah. think we... We saw Roland's brother in uh, San Francisco, but... Uh, he was it, in the army. I mean, we, we didn't, uh, I suppose we said we were going to get into Waterloo on such and such a time, and I know we didn't call them, because we were not attuned to calling people. Now, which brother did you see in San Francisco, Lord? Burton. Burton, okay. He was stationed at, was it Camp Beal? We hadn't communicated with him very much either, but somehow he was aware that we were coming and came to the hotel room. Nice. Oh, yeah. yes. Now that was nice. And then he took us to the train in the morning. We, we he had went, a car. We went to church. He went to church with us, and then he took us to the train. And that, then we were on our way. But we were really jumping ahead of ourselves. That's okay. That's okay, because if it's spontaneous, I can tell there's, we're getting some real good anecdotal kind of information that'll be fun to record. Well, I guess we called, then from Waterloo, we did call home. We called. And what did they say, and what did you say? Well, they were... We, we, we got Grandma, and she said, where, where are you? And he said, well, we're in Waterloo. Well, she said... Ah, is at the airport waiting for you. Ah. So then she tried to page him, and we got him, and finally. But this was, you know, all these little kids of the Did year. Seen. Oh, how exciting that must have been. Yeah, I, I think maybe the children remember some of that. They, we lived across the road from them for a year of them, so we were supposed to rent But did you them. rent a place then? <coughs> yeah, they had, they had a, Grandpa had taken, bought a the creamery where he worked. That creamery, and he had a, he had a cement slab made, and he had this plot of land, and he right moved, on the corner of the farm. Yeah, and he moved this this creamery over that slab, and and he and and Ronan's brother really made a, a lovely house out of it. It was a, a and three a car bedroom. A carpenter. Oh yeah. Well, now, I I lost you somewhere. Your dad bought the creamery, the building? The building. Okay, he bought the building, and he moved the building to the corner of his land. Yeah, mm -hmm. his farm. And then you and your brother converted that to a house? No, oh, he no, it he. was already when we got there. Oh, oh yeah. How sweet. That's we call sweet. it the greenhouse. It was, it we was have painted a, green. <laughs> we have a, a little 8-millimeter movie. It shows a little bit of, of moving that building out there. And this was in preparation for your furlough. Yeah. Yes, they were getting ready for, for us. 
What our, royal our, treatments you had. Yeah, our church didn't have any furlough homes. Uh-huh. So missionaries were on their own to find their accommodations for that year. They, the church paid the rent or gave us a sure. housing housing. Now, which brother is this that helped your dad um, convert the creamer to a house? Uh, Lincoln. Yeah, Lincoln, the youngest brother. Oh, that's so sweet. And a, a neighbor who was a, a carpenter and electrician did a lot of the work. Uh, what was his name? John Wade, Jack Wademeyer. Okay, Wademeyer is W-A-D-E-M-E-I-E-R. Would you like more coffee? I'd love some more coffee. And yeah. have another piece. Well, I'm, I better not. Thank you very much. It's very good. Too tempting. Well, this was a, a really uh, modern house. Uh, lots of good features in it, really. Uh, it was small. Uh, really, but, uh, Did you have electricity? Oh, yeah. Oh, this was well, we had a washer and dryer and oh, coming from New Guinea, I bet you thought you were in heaven. Furnished, you know, the, they had furnished the house for us because we didn't have anything in no. the U.S. I mean, we we just just didn't. We didn't live there, but they had. We had three bedrooms. We had. And they were built in uh, a wardrobe. Every it was a it was a nice modern house. It one only one thing. Now you always assume a house has two bathrooms. We had only one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a nice welcome home. They must have been so proud of you. It was, it was very nice. And they, that whole year, that's, that's what one of the kids mentioned. I remember that year we lived in, in Denver, uh, how we had a chance to see Grandpa and Grandma. And I, I think we never, we never were close to them again. You know, uh -huh. Well, they had gone to a lot of trouble to prepare for you. Yeah, well, they then they lived in it themselves afterwards. Oh, did they really? And of course, it was it was their house. You yeah, know? sure. But, but then they rented out the farm and, and lived there. And then they moved into the greenhouse. Uh, and it was called the greenhouse because it was painted green on the outside? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some people live in the White House and some people live in the greenhouse, huh? Thank you, Amy. That was so nice. So next time when we get together, I'll take you lunch. We have to decide where to go. There's nice places in Stillwater. I know. Oh, yes. So shall we talk about, can we go back now to, you just got married. Roland graduated from school. He had declared that he wanted to go into the missions. That was part of your excitement to be able to find that dream come true. We really left off, Amy, where you're teaching in school. How did that transition from teacher to nurse happen? Um, and <laughs> I all, when I tell about things, I feel as if I was always thinking about money. <laughs> but uh, I, I just, just wanted to get some, some training so that I could earn some money and finish my teacher training. Oh. Uh, I did that year of St. Olaf was not was not expensive because I worked for my board and room, 
And I had With a seventy-five dollar scholarship. That was for one, the second semester. I had to pay for the first semester. Now. I suppose that was seventy-five dollars. And seventy-five dollars. Uh, I paid that, and and you know that my first semester cost me. I have said this, and I I, I don't think it's wrong. I cost me ninety-five dollars. But then, of course, I I had incidental expenses, you know, like uh, once in a while I had to have stockings and, and uh, some little, little bit of clothes. I didn't buy many clothes. But, and I'll have to tell this now. <laughs> I was, uh, uh, when I was teaching, I, well, I have to tell about my pay when I was a teacher, though. Yes, I was going to ask you how much. Uh, I got $50 a month. That was a lot in those days, wasn't it, or no? It was average. It okay. was the usual. But you just, I didn't get any money. They didn't didn't, get far, Farmers didn't pay taxes. They couldn't pay taxes. So the school district didn't have any money. So they gave me these, they called them registered teacher's warrants. It was like a, a promise to pay when they, when they got some money in the... So did you ever get it? I sold. We could sell them. People bought them for a ten percent with a ten percent discount. So I really got forty-five dollars. But I I sold them and I had to help at home. My dad didn't have much of any cash income, so I had to help. The boys needed clothes sometimes, and I I it was no hardship. i I don't want that uh, no. picture because I didn't spend. Too much. I, I got things if I got if I wanted it to, and uh, and Dad did everything he could to provide the food. And on a farm, we had meat and, and that sort of thing. But uh, um, I thought now, uh, nurses uh, get pretty good salary. I thought I didn't know much, did I? <laughs> But I can surely I can if I can get through nurses training. Um, if I can find a place where I can get to, then I'll make enough money so that someday I will get back to college. Ah, that was your long-term plan. Yeah, and then I can go to the mission field as a teacher. <laughs> oh, really? This is uh, before this, I wrote to the to the mission someplace. I don't know where I found the address. My parents were, you know, like Roland has all these addresses of the church and, and the different departments, but my folks didn't have anything like that. I don't know where I got an address to write to. And I don't know. And I asked, you know, how could I, could I serve a, in some capacity on the mission field? And I got word back, you better get your education first. So that they did. That spurred you on then. Yeah. So I, I, then I talked to the, this is another pastor's wife. Her name was Mrs. Bowe, C-O-E, Marie Bowe. And she said, you know, how, how are things going and so on. And I said, I am, I have written to hospitals like in Minot and uh, I didn't ask in Williston. There was only a Catholic hospital in Williston, and and uh, I didn't. Uh, well, you know, Lutheran girls didn't go to That's a right. Catholic hospital, yeah. and I had Catholics. We were, we were. It wasn't that we were against Catholics at all. We were very open-minded, but you still didn't go to the. 
Catholic hospital, and I don't—I think it's too bad. Anyway, I wrote to Marnot, and I wrote to Fargo, and their prices were so high for nurses' training, I just couldn't find that much money. So this Mrs. Bow said, you know, she said there's a deaconess hospital in Chicago, and I think that they, you can get your training there mostly for working. And, and uh, so I wrote to Deaconess Hospital, and uh, the director of nurses wrote back, and, and I told her my, what I was hoping to do, and so on. And, and she said that if you can have a $100 in cash when you get here, she said, I, I am sure that you'll be able to get through nurses' training. <laughs> And that was possible for you. And uh, so, well, I needed more, but it came. I got some more money. I, I, I inherited a little money from my grandparents, not much. but, uh, And then I had one of my teachers, Warren, said I saved, and I got it, that at face value with a interest added. Now, how much did you inherit from your grandparents? Probably remember? $10. I think 75 Okay. $75. Because there were four of us, and uh, we just divided evenly. And uh, my mother had borrowed some money, and that was paid back out of her inheritance. So this is from your maternal grandparents? Yeah. Okay, these are teacher's warrant. And you came up with the $100. And I, I, I think... My brother said to me now, when I was, well, the last time I was there, he said, how did you happen to go to Chicago? Yeah. <laughs> and when I think of it, you know, I just think I, I wasn't, I wasn't nervous at all coming into the city like that. I, I was, but, but my big sister, we had the big sister. Program? Sister. Yeah. And mm -hmm. my big sister was at the train to meet me. What was her name? Her name was Hilda Riskadal. R-I-S-K-E-B-A-H-L. And I have thought many times, I'm sure she had no problem knowing who I was, because I, I'm sure I, I, sh I showed my look. <laughs> so she met you at the train station. She brought me to Deaconess, and from then on it was, it was just heavenly, you know. I just was so, uh, I think that... What did I just say was one of my most exciting experiences. Now I'm saying this was. Okay, you said teaching the, in the school for two oh, years. Yeah, that teaching, that really was exciting. I, I have to go back and tell you a little more about that because I think it's important. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Would you, just would go you back. Go back now. Yeah. Um, at the end, I had an eight-month term, but uh, at the end of the nine-month, the ninth month, like May, then I had to go back and give examinations to the 7th and 8th graders. And these examinations were written by the, the North Dakota State of, of Board of Education. They had someone that was an examiner. And they came to the teacher in sealed envelopes. And on the day of the examination, you stood in front of the class and opened the envelopes and then looked at the examinations and prayed that your kids would know everything. <laughs> <laughs> you should mention, though, you had a very good yeah. uh, 
course of study. The North Dakota's education system had compiled this course of study, and it had day-to-day -day lessons. Oh, the material really? You had to cover. You had to cover this much in arithmetic and this much in reading, and so quite organized. Well, you know, if you have an inexperienced person, you just need something like that, and that was my total guide. <laughs> and uh, it, it was very good. So, how did your students do? Oh, they all passed. I can't. Uh, I, I think I don't know if I knew their grades. I think the grades came. I, I can't remember if they came to me or in high school. I took the same kind of examinations, and we got our. They were called credits. But uh, I think that uh, credit slips, I mean. But I think they did all right because nobody failed. I did that for two years. But I, I think when they talk about uh, about giving exam examinations to the school children, you know, I I can really cheer them on because I think it, it does something to the teachers and the children to, to be accountable. And they didn't very often that I know of. Of course, I didn't have that many years. But they didn't give them trick questions. Mm -hmm. they, they didn't try to fool them. The kids. purpose was really to measure the skills. Yes. Uh -huh. Competency-based exams is what they're calling them now. Oh. Yes. It's the same idea. Yeah. And then the teachers saved all these exams. They could, the extra copies, there were always extra copies. And they saved them so the children could review those old examinations from before the new ones were given. That didn't mean that, that the new ones would be the, and, and would have the same questions, but it did help them, anything they learned. So, Amy, as we're talking about you doing this, is it okay if we kind of flash to the future and say, we see this same kind of uh, process arising now in the, in the 1990s? where it's competency-based exam, and it's the same idea that you had back in the 40s. You yeah. can learn from the history. Exactly. Yes, I think that's true. Uh -huh, that's I Because I can tell you, as I'm working with families, you can see patterns as people talk about things. Yeah. If you do, if you stand back as you're reading, it's so similar. That's right. Just yes. a little twist that's new, you know, but... Like they'd say more in a more modern way. Yeah. But that's okay with you if we kind of flash to Yes, I'm, I'm okay. glad if you add that yes. it's, uh, that that uh, insight, because I think that's, don't you think, of, mm -hmm. I think that's important. And that's what you're saying. We're living in the same world, really, in different parts of it, but exactly. it's pretty much so. And it's like, it's like you talking about wanting to go to the missions and have this big adventure, and I tell you that was my son's. You know, this is the 1990s. He's saying, I want to go to the end of the earth, you know? Uh -huh. yes, Same as the Finisterre Mountains. <laughs> you, could, you, you should tell him, find the Finisterres. Yeah, <laughs> I will in my next letter. I'll say, find them. Uh, <laughs> from, from my Latin, I know what it means. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So then you arrived at Deaconess, and you were there for three years. Now, do you want to tell the Gladys story here? Gladys Bud, right? Yeah, I have. I will. Um, uh, well, of course, capping. We had a probation period. Let's talk about probation. Yeah, that's right. We had the probation period, and and. Uh, what did you do as a probie? 
we had we had regular classes. I, we had a whole day scheduled, but uh, they started us quite soon working about two hours on the war. What did you do? Oh, we gave baths right away. My first my first patient was a little girl named uh, Dorothy Reimer, and she had a heart problem. Was impressed upon us, you know, that heart patients don't move very much. You have to be real careful with them. So it was hard to give her her bed. <laughs> I can't believe you remember her name. That's amazing. I love it. She was. I, I remember her. She was a little, a young girl. I think she was about fourteen or fifteen, and and she was a little bit uh, of an invalid. I think she probably. It could be that she'd had rheumatic fever. I'm not sure of that, but it, she acted like that kind of a patient. I gave her a bath, and then it was very important that we finish our work, do our charting, and get to class on time. Those three things. Finish your work, do your charting, and get to class on time. <laughs> what are some of the other things you did as a probie? As a probie? Oh, make bed? Oh, yes. We, we would discharge patients, and then we'd make up the new the beds, wash the beds and wash the mattress wipe off the mattresses and then uh, make the beds. And uh, it impressed upon us how, how clean it was and wash all the utensils and, and uh, uh, wash the rubber goods. That's something that, that you never did, I think. Oh, I did. Wash the rubber draw sheet. Did, did you wash it? Yes, ma'am. But the uh, the uh, enema tubes and all that sort of thing, and boil them, and it's just a disgrace to let them burn. <laughs> so you didn't have a central supply that did that. You did that no, yourself. No, we did that later. They they got the central. Okay. No, we didn't get. It. We didn't even have a central supply. But they were talking about it. Okay. No, we got it. We did everything. But another thing we did. Did you ever stretch gauze? Yes. <laughs> That was what we said. We sat in the service room and stretched gauze if we had extra, extra time. time. And those were reused. They were washed oh. and then they right. Were, they were from surgery. You know, when you counted the, the uh, sponges, counted, counted the, the sponges, you folded them up and put them in the basins. Then they went to the laundry and they had special treatment. They were all washed, but they came up all in crumbled together. And it was your duty to stretch to straighten them out, and then stretch them on that frame that had nails all around it. And then after that, you folded them up so they were proper to go back to. And put them in, in packs of, was it 10 or 12? I think t 10, maybe. I think 10. And then you uh, sent them back, wrapped up. You had to wrap them right in the wrappers and sent them back to the, uh, to the autoclave. I am going to tell you my experience with those those sponges. I was in surgery, and uh, I was a I was a sponge nurse for a, an operation, and I had my my wrapper out, and I was lining my sponges just like they should be, wrapping them up, and I got to the last container, and one was missing. And and. Uh, the name of the, the scrub nurse was, was uh, Abeltrop, but we all called her Avi. And uh, she looked at me, and I took out every packet, counted it. There was 
still a sponge missing. And uh, finally, she started looking around, and she found it under the intern's arm. He was assisting. And my face was burning when, when we got out. Abby said to me, Gunlikson, I was praying for you. <laughs> it gives me goosebumps. <laughs> See, this is real nurse talk, this stuff. <laughs> oh, Amy. <laughs> but uh, that's... Uh, I was so thankful that that last one appeared. <laughs> yeah. Because it, you really were demoted if you miscounted sponges. It's a patient's life. You know, yeah. we were taking responsibility. So that, that's one experience that I just That's said. great. That's wonderful. How do I spell Miss Abeltroff, do you think? A-B-L-I-P-T-R-O-P. Abletrop. Now that's if I would look in my uh, uh, directory, I could find her given name. She was so nice to students. She was the, the scrub nurse for this one. Each, we didn't have more than two main surgeons in our in our institution. There was others that there were others that did surgery, but these two men <coughs> scheduled their surgery in the mornings. They each had an operating room, and the other one was Dr. Schrader, and his her, uh, his was Helen, um, Helen, boy, now that, uh, no, 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 I, I'll think of it, but then this room was Dr. Reed's, and his nurse was A.B., Miss Abeltraff's Abel So we're going to talk about Gladys. Oh, well then, I, that's in my, my first, uh, real experience on the ward. That wasn't really my first real experience. It was my first experience on this, we called it, um, <laughs> second annex. The hospital had east, uh, east and west, and then the middle we called annex. And I was on second, I was assigned to second annex, and Gladys Budd was my supervisor. And, uh, she was a strict supervisor, very, very, a very uh, good nurse. And uh, we had a patient that, uh, we had a, just a few charity cases, and these patients just just lived at, at the hospital. They just stayed, they would stay there till they died, unless the families, most of them didn't have much of any family. But they had this one patient, her name was Luella, she had had, uh, we call it arthritis deformance. Mm. From the time she was probably rheumatoid arthritis, she was huh? stricken when she was very young, just about twenty. Yeah, it Just, just that, like that. She was, and she was deformed. Her finger, her hands were. She learned to write putting a pencil sort of between her fingers. You know, just really deformed, and her neck was like this stiff. And when you bathed her, you just had to push her over. She'd say, just just push me over, she said. Well, I said, I don't want to push you out of bed. No, but, you know, she had no way of stopping herself. She just would, was stiff. Anyway, uh, I was assigned to, to uh, Luella. And I worked so hard with Luella. She could feel every... You know, pee under the nine mattresses yeah, or whatever. She yeah. and she's very sensitive. 
very sensitive and she had to be dried so well uh -huh. because she, any moisture would uh, would be uh, make her skin uh, tender or uh, sore and anyway I had worked so hard with Luella and I uh, uh, thought I was finished and I went out in the in the <laughs> service room and I cried I said to Bud I said I well, I finished Loretta, uh, Luella, I said, in, in a sort of a way, I said, <laughs> and I cried. She said, don't you let Luella make you cry. She said, we all have to deal with Luella. She said, and just don't cry because of her. <laughs> so it, so the message was what? That you your heart was breaking because of her deformities? Is that what it was? <clears throat> My heart was breaking because I just didn't think I was satisfying her. Oh. I was not able to. Uh, uh, Didn't she say it's one thing to try and one thing well, to she'd, do? She'd say, uh, she'd tell me to do something and I'd say, well, I'll try Luella. Well, she said there's one thing to trying and another thing to succeeding once in a while. Oh, so she was pretty irritable. She was very hard to take care of. Okay, I didn't was, get that. It was a, a challenge to that they gave every one of us take care of Luella. But I, I got, I really mastered it. Uh, I got to be a real good friend of Luella. I would go back and, and talk, to, you know, visit with her. And, and this was my first experience with her. And it, it was pretty, pretty rough. I think this is an excellent example of what nursing was like in those days. Oh. Because we didn't have too much, um, besides our nursing skills, no. to intervene. There was no no uh, appliance that you could use or anything. Now nope. you might, they might have lifted her up and rubbed her back, you know, but we had to turn her over, and then you had to put pillows around, like I said, so she wouldn't fall out of bed. And uh, There was no physical therapy, was there? Did that come in with polio? Uh, yeah, more than, more likely. We, no, we, you know, we used so much, uh, um, Extension. What do you? Uh, what do I mean? Traction. Traction. Yeah, they traction. So traction. Yeah. And they use it so seldom now. Yeah. But uh, with Luella, it was more that we we would massage her yeah. and keep her skin healthy and uh, keep it dry. And then you had to put pillows under her legs and and her head. She had to have a certain pillow under that a certain way and. But didn't didn't she didn't help us though she didn't come in and say well why don't you do this she, it wasn't uh, and I'm not that criticizing but it was the way, way it, it had to be yeah. yeah but anyway that was my first experience with Bud and and we just got to be good friends and then when uh, when I was a, a what I, was she like what was her personality like and what did she look like she was a little little blonde lady and. Uh, very nicely groomed always and very she always wore um, this is her her trademark she wore a fancy handkerchief in her in her pocket and then interns used to comment on that that she wore her, her pin on the pocket but she always had a, a fancy handkerchief in her pocket and what was her personality um, she was, uh, was she kind of stern? 
No, she wasn't. She was more jovial, you know. She yeah. could, uh, young, uh, I almost think she would say she was vivacious in a way. Not yeah. In a way she was. Yeah. But, but she was, was, was strict. And Real professional. Very professional. And she expected expected the nurses to to produce, that's not the word, but to, to do what they were supposed to do. She expected you to be uh, to be careful and to do things right. And she not only expected the nurses, she expected herself to do that. And I think she she got along well with people. But she's was she is an artistic lady. Ah, how did you know that? Just the way she printed. Way she did her charting. And how did that come out in her home or in her, besides her handkerchief, that was, well, in the, after I was through training, I, I got a job as a, as a teacher at the school too. And uh, so she and I were both teachers and we, they assigned me to a, a room next to hers. We shared a bathroom in the, in the uh, dormitory. And so, you know how you, start visiting more when you have washed your hair or you sitting sure. around talking sure. and, and finally we decided we'd like to live together so we rented an apartment it was an armitage I think in Chicago and, uh, and then we lived there together and uh, and we you should tell about her politics or I don't want to tell about that in my book. She was a very, 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 very uh, vocal. She talked a lot. There were uh, uh, there were three of us in the same office. Uh, Laura and I had one desk. She had one side, and I had the other. And and Bud had the other desk. And uh, we really talked a lot. Of course, we discussed this the school too. We were both, all of us were. What did you teach? In Laura and I were hired to be ward instructors. And that was the first time that our school had that program, but it was coming in and they knew they needed. Okay, and we what were, was Bud? Bud was a nursing arts instructor. And a good one. You can imagine when she was so exacting, she was very good. And uh, our duty was to to search out any, not only unusual cases, but cases that we thought would be good for the students to especially observe. And then we'd have them go and study the charts and see what was being done for them, what care they were given. And uh, then we'd have a, a uh, class on that and talk about it. Did you call it a conference or you called it a How many students would you have at a time? We we had quite a few. So I wish I could remember how many. We they were just beginning the uh, cadet nurse program, you know. So we had quite a few students, maybe twenty-five. There were about twenty-five in my class too, but then some dropped out because of health. And uh, I I just don't. I'd say roughly between twenty and twenty-five. So. In the School of Nursing, how many s instructors were there in all? Uh, there was a, uh, a nursing arts instructor, 
and a, uh, a science instructor, Michael Brown.